Christ, Jesus Christ is better than anything. He's a better sacrifice. He is a better Savior. He's a better sanctifier. There's no one like Jesus. And he gives three parting words. According to Collins' online dictionary, parting words are the things that you say or do as you are leaving a place or a person. I read the story of a pastor who had visited a gentleman who was dying. And he went to visit this man, and the man could not speak very well. And he leaned down over, and he couldn't hear what the man was trying to say to him. So the man asked for a pen and paper. And the man wrote a note and handed him a note. Well, the pastor wanted him to have his dignity. And he wanted to have his respect. He knew the man was dying, so he just put it in his jacket pocket. And he was trying to be there, focusing on the man. Was The story turned out, the preacher was preaching the funeral of the man, and he realized that note was in his pocket. And he thought, what a fitting thing to do. His last recorded words, his parting words, was to pull it out of his pocket and read. And he pulled the note out, and he read the note, and the note said, you're standing on my oxygen line. You better laugh. They don't get any funnier. <laughs> Parting words can be very important. Goodbyes are hard. Goodbyes are very, very hard. And many people would like to avoid goodbyes. The writer of Hebrews has invested his life into these people. He invested his life into this, this group of people to whom he wrote this letter. There's a connection with them. He cares deeply about them. And he gives them three phrases in parting words. He says, pray for us. We will pray for you. And pay attention to the truth. Those are the three phrases he says. And they're not insignificant. A lot of times we get to the end of a, of a book in the Bible and we see that the conclusion and the salutations we see that and we think oh, no big deal, he's just closing the book we're just going to finish the book there's no message there, there's a tremendous message in this text this morning pray for us because we're going to pray for you and do not neglect to pay attention to the truth because truth matters in verse 18, the writer says this, Pray for us. We are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. What the writer is telling the people of Hebrews is telling them this, Pray for us that we, first of all, that we can live a life of confidence. You know, the Bible teaches us that we can have a life of confidence in Christ. We don't have to live a life of shame. We don't have to live a life wondering if we can be right with the Lord. The Bible tells us we can live in confidence in our relationship to the Lord. 
And the writer said, pray that we maintain that confidence and that we have a good conscience. The older I get, the more important I see the conscience is. The conscience is built into us that reminds us, that sticks up a red flag when something's not right. Now, our conscience is not the same thing as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And many a times, the Holy Spirit may use our conscience to convict us, but they're not one in the same. These men, the team, especially the writer of Hebrews, says, we have lived among you openly. We've sought to point you away from organized religion and bring you to Christ, the one that makes the difference, all the difference in the world. I think of all the people who are enamored with religion and how they are totally dedicated to some religious system. And there's some really wacky religious systems out there, but ultimately it boils down to two things. Christ is Jesus Christ and what He's done for us on the cross of Calvary, and everything else is what we do for Him. That's all other religions. We're going to earn our way to God. It's what we can do, and we've got to be better. We've got to look better than Him. We've got to act better than Him. We have to talk better than <clears throat> them. I watched the movie of the Jesus Revolution. And the people in the, the film are different than I and different than most of you. Some of you may have raised up in that generation. You know what I'm talking about. But there was a statement in that movie that caught me. The daughter of the pastor of the church told the pastor, she said, you, you let the hippies into the church and Jesus came in with them. There's a lot of churches who are religious, who do a lot of things religiously, who do a lot of things they think that are important, if you will. But there's nothing more important than being sold out to Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important than following Jesus Christ. And the writer says, pray for us that we maintain that. Do you know that the road is littered? The road is littered with many people who once were committed to Christ but now have given in to some form of organized religion. There are churches that were very innovative who wanted to reach people with the gospel of Christ that weren't afraid to getting their hands dirty, that weren't afraid to reaching out to sinners, that weren't afraid to, to seeing Christ make a big change in the lives of people. And God blessed them. And along the way, the churches grew and they began to not want the dirtiness of sin. They didn't want to be around sinners anymore. They didn't want to reach people with the gospel. And so they began to become ultra-religious. I think the writer of Hebrews doesn't want to be that way. He wants to say, listen, pray for us. Pray for us that we walk in a way that pleases Christ. Pray for us that we do the work of Christ. Pray for us that we have continually the desire to live honorably among all men. 
Do you know what he is asking them to pray? Watch this just for a moment. I thought about this and thought about this and thought about this. What he is saying is, would you pray? Would you pray that we would be Christ-like? Would we be Christ-like? And so much of Christendom today is acting out some famous figure. We want to be like this guy. We want to be like that guy. We want to be like Christ. Can I ask you a question? When is the last time you asked someone to pray for you to be Christ-like? That the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in your life? Not that you would um, be seen as some religious person, but that you would be seen as a follower of Christ. They would see the fruit of the Spirit in you, the character of Jesus Christ in you. I can't tell you the last time I asked someone to pray for me. And I'm ashamed of that. Most often when we ask someone to pray, it's for a, a physical need or a material need or something such as that. We hardly ever ask someone to pray for our spiritual needs. I can think of no greater parting words than to say, pray for me that I would be Christ-like. Pray for me that I would be Christ-like. When I was a kid, we had a church camp. We went to church camp. And at the time before we built uh, the, the church I was in, before they built Camp Jerry, we used to go to Mason County 4-H camp. Mason County, West Virginia. And Dave Cross, who was a preacher down in Tennessee, he would bring his teens up to our camp with us. And we got to meet some lifelong friends. And the last day of camp was always tough because those boys and girls were going back to Tennessee and we were going back to Ohio. And we had parting words. Now, obviously, as a, a teenager, perhaps the last thing on my mind was asking them to pray for me to be Christ-like. I'll just be honest with you. I was probably trying to get the girls' phone numbers. You had to get phone numbers back in. You know, you couldn't text. You had to dial. You know. But what if when we parted with each other, we encouraged each other to pray for us? Pray that I be Christ-like. And what if you asked me to pray that I be Christ-like? What could God do in our lives? The second phrase he says, we will pray for you. Look at verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, number one, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will. Just because he doesn't say, I'm going to pray for you, does not mean that it's not a prayer. It is a prayer. He is calling on the Lord. He's calling on the Lord and he's asking them, the Lord, on behalf of those people that they would be made complete in every good work. You know, there's only one way you can be made complete, in, and that is in Christ. You can search all your life. You can t attend the finest universities. You can <clears throat> do all these things, these voyages that people take. But you will never be complete unless you're complete in Christ. 
unless Jesus Christ is not only your Savior, but He is your Lord, you will never be complete. And what has happened in our land, and it started in the 60s, and it started ever so subtly, and it's working its way down throughout all of the 21st century, is we have subtly been pulled away from completeness in Christ. Many of the people in the 60s who were uh, seeking drugs and using drugs, they were really, unknowing, unknowns to them, they were seeking a God, but they didn't know how. And they were seeking these cosmic experiences that they thought might be an experience with God. And it wasn't. It was false. It was a false God. It was a false God. See, you and I can only be complete in Christ. Your spouse can't make you complete. Oh, you complete me. Rubbish. Utter rubbish. And you know it is. And those of you that have been married for any amount of time, you know that I know that you know that it is. It's garbage. Only Christ can complete you. Not only did he say that you might be complete in Christ, but in every good work. There's an assumption by the author that if you're complete in Christ, you will be committed to his work. You can't separate Christ from His work. You can't do it. There's no separation of Christ and His work. If you're complete in Christ, you will be in His work. What's the best thing that He can pray for a group of people who are being uh, wooed by the enemy back to a religious system. What's the best thing you can pray? Number one, that you'd understand that your completeness is in Christ. Number two, that that completeness would drive you to work in the work of God through Christ. Those are the things that they would want you to know. They would, he would want you to know that he's praying because those will make a difference in your life. Not only does he say working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that you would realize that you're complete in Christ. We're going to pray for you that you would realize that that completeness drives you to work for Him and that you would live your life in a way that is well-pleasing to the Lord. This is not some abstract one-time thought in the scripture. It's all through the scripture. Whatsoever the hand finds to do, do it what? Heartily as unto the Lord. We are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. A well-pleasing sacrifice to God. People have told me before, I don't care what people think. Sure you do. You may not care about what some people think, but you care about what people think of you. And I would say this, we should care what Jesus Christ thinks of us. It's more than honking if you love Jesus, 
and sharing and like and comment if you love Jesus. That's all superficial stuff that anyone can do that means absolutely nothing. I have never once thought that Jesus Christ was disappointed in me in heaven because I didn't share someone that says, if you don't love Jesus, you're ashamed of him. You better share it. I have not once lost any sleep over that. But I'm telling you this. There are many nights when I've lost sleep when I've blown it and I thought, man, Lord, I've really blown it and I've displeased you. Parting words matter. Pray for us. Pray for us that we would be Christ-like. We're going to pray for you that you would realize that you're already complete in Christ. You don't need that religion. You don't have to search all over for that one sacrifice. There remains no more sacrifice. You don't have to do all these religious things. You're complete in Christ. Now set your heart at serving Him and walking in a manner that pleases Him. Because if you do that, your life will count so much more. Look at verse 22. We see the last phrase of parting. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. The writer says, listen, pay attention to the truth. Pay attention to the truth. We're not going to be here. I'm not going to be here always to encourage you in the truth. You've got this letter I've written to you. You have this exhortation. Pay attention to the truth. Has anyone ever been driving in your car and you're driving down the road and maybe you're just enjoying the day, the sun's shining, there's favorite songs on, and you're cruising down the road and all of a sudden you see something flashing and you look in the rear view mirror and you look down at the speed limit and unbeknownst to you, you're speeding. Now don't raise your hand. We don't want you to publicly confess all your sins. There is a danger with driving, especially newer vehicles. There's a danger driving these newer vehicles that we might drive and we might be speeding and we don't even know it. The old vehicles, when you drove them, when you got up to about 55, they started shaking. You knew you were, you were right on target there. Especially if you didn't have uh, power steering, right? <laughs> um, but there's a danger when you don't pay attention to the truth. That sign on the highway is the truth. And that radar gun or thing, contraption, in the car of the state trooper is the truth. And there are consequences when you don't heed the truth. That's a silly illustration, but I want you to see this. When you don't heed the truth of God's Word, there are serious consequences. You know what the Bible says? God says He will not share His glory with another. These people wanted to depart Christianity and go back to religion. They were pulling themselves under a false god, the false god of religion. They were actually putting a god in the place of the God. 
And just so we're not so smug and sanctimonious, let me say this. Anytime we give something more affection, more attention, more love, more worship to God than, or to the, it than to God, we are idolaters. First things first. God says, I will have no other gods before me. Pay attention to the truth. Truth matters. Well, it's, it's okay. It's, it's just circumcision. No, listen. If you're counting on that for your eternal salvation, it's not the same. You're not trusting in Christ. It's just... It's just the, the Sabbath day. It's just keeping the law, Ten Commandments. Not a one of us in here have kept the Ten Commandments. I came out of my mother's womb fighting, kicking, screaming, a sinner, and so did you. No one ever sat me down and said, okay, now this is how you lie. But let me tell you, I was good at it. And so were you. And in our churches, and not all the churches, there are a lot of great churches. Please don't, I don't want to think that we're the only ones doing this. But sad to say, there are some churches today that are showing movies and trying to develop a moral Christian principle out of the movie rather than paying attention to the truth. I talked to a friend of mine, and I said, last week, I said, how did the church service go? And he said, it was one of those services. I don't say anything else because I don't know if it was one of those services or one of those services. The preacher didn't get a preach. It was so spiritual. Where's the truth? The Bible encourages us to give, to give attention to the reading of God's Word. It's unconscionable to need to have a church service and not even read the Word of God. You will not find that in the Scripture. I don't care how many you have and how many hours you run and how many things you do, I, that it doesn't bother, it's irrelevant. Did you pay attention to the truth? You know what they did when they rebuilt the temple? They rebuilt the walls of the temple. The temple's already been rebuilt. They rebuilt the walls of Nehemiah. Nehemiah calls Ezra. Ezra comes over. He's on an elevated platform in front of everyone. He read the word of God. And as he read the word of God, the people raised their hands, put their heads down, and they praised and worshiped the Lord. Pay attention to the truth. But sometimes the truth is boring. No, the truth's not boring. You're boring. If you think the truth is boring, you haven't read Judges lately. I'm reading, I'm like, do what? And this is where we are in our land. And one of the great parting words of this writer is pay attention. Pay attention to the truth. Why? Because it's the truth that will set you free. Not fables. Not stories. We all love stories. But it's the truth that will set you free. Those are great parting words. Those are wonderful words. Parting words. Do you know that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the truth? He is the truth. The prayers coupled with the truth of the scriptures 
should motivate us, number one, to be Christ-like. There's an aim in this. It's not happenstance. It's not coincidence. There's a targeted, funneled approach. As he winds down this text, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, the prayers coupled with the Scriptures should motivate us, number one, to be Christ-like. If you are not Christ-like, but you claim to be a Christian, you need to get right with the Lord. You don't have to answer to me. You answer to a holy and righteous God. You are not your own. You do not own your life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you surrendered your life. Jesus purchased you with His precious blood, the Bible says. Number two, the prayers coupled with scriptures motivate us to serve Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again believer and you're not serving Jesus Christ, you're not right. If you get mad at me, you get mad at me. And if you say, well, I'm just not going to serve. I'm not even going to come to church. I'm not going to serve. I'm just going to show you. You're not showing me. I'm not going to be accountable for you. You're going to be accountable for you. So you can stick your tongue out me and all you want. I'm just telling you, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you're not serving Christ, you're not right. But you can get right. Number three, the prayers coupled with the truth of the Scriptures should motivate us to resolve to stick with Jesus. We're not going to chase all these fads. We're not going to be popular. Bryce keeps me updated on the uh, social media things that goofy people that are so-called Christians post. And one guy said that the uh, Nicen Creed was inspired. Was that, is that I say that right? Inerrant, excuse me. Well, I tell you, it is errant because men wrote it. And I'm not going to quote some code or some Apostles' Creed and all that and take away from the Word of God. It's rubbish. It's foolishness. And you got these guys today who are thinking that they're smarter than everybody else and they try to up one, one up each other, and they want to be smarter than the other. Stick with Jesus. I love what they say about the disciples. They noticed that they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. I would rather be in that camp and be right with Jesus than to be thought of as a super scholar over here on the other side of Jesus. I want to be on his side. I want to stick to Jesus. Number four. Prayers coupled with the truth of scriptures should encourage us to love and encourage one another. We ought to be rooting on each other. Now I know there might be someone who gets under your skin. That's life. I understand that. But Jesus Christ is greater than all of that. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Let me tell you something. If someone gets under your skin, do something nice for them. Buy them something. Now, anyone that's here has heard this message, you go buy them something, they'll say, oh, you don't like me now. The preacher's done preach that. But that's okay. Maybe you can have a conversation. Maybe you can learn to love one another. What I have found in my life, when I have something I don't like about someone else, 
the roots of that are me. It's internal. It's personal. And I'm the one that's not right with the Lord. And I know, I know, but you said, but this guy's annoying. I know. Shoot, I am the annoying guy. I know. But what I'm trying to say is this. A lot of times when I find that I don't like someone because of this position or that or the other, it's my pride. If I would just love them and understand who they are, that's who they are, I'm going to love them in spite of that, then I'll be fine. And I can encourage them. And the church could be full of encouragers that we're not like each other. And there are certain things that I see in people, and, and it's like that commercial, where that insurance commercial where the guy's been hired to teach the people to not be like their parents. And, you know, the guy comes in and he's like, we all see it, we all see it. My wife told me three or four times at the beach, we all see it, we all see it. And uh, she says, I can't hide anything, I'll go. And uh, she said, you, you can't be subtle or anything, you just let it go. But we ought to encourage each other. We ought to encourage each other. We ought to encourage each other. We ought to write, send a text to someone, hey, I, I was thinking about you today. Have you been in the Word yet? I'm praying that, that you'll find time today to be in God's Word. Encourage one another. And then our prayers coupled with the truth of Scripture should motivate us to live a life well-pleasing to the Lord. I was coaching baseball last year. And uh, it was my last year. Eighth grade boys. When boys get into middle school, I'm just going to tell you, something happens to them. They just become weird. I don't know what it is. It just, it just happens. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Josh? And we're at practice. And I've, I've, I've always been pretty patient around the ball field with my team. <laughs> I should let me put that emphasis, my team. And uh, it was one of those days when they were just everything. You couldn't get anything. They were just goofing off. They were just not paying attention. It was 110 degrees. And I blew up and I screamed and everybody stopped and looked. And I was yelling at the boys, do this, do that, do that. And uh, they all were like, whoa, what's the matter with this guy? And then it hit me. The conviction came over me. I thought, man, you acted like an absolute idiot. So I called time out and I pulled the boys in. I said, boys, listen. I blew it, man. I was wrong. There's no excuse. It's not you. It's me. And I apologize. And I should not have talked to you all that way. The older I get, guys, and I, I, I'm a work in progress. Don't take me as a, anyone to follow, follow Jesus. The older I get, the more I want to be like Jesus. I mean, it's a baseball game, for crying out loud. It's a game. And I care that I walk in a way that's well-pleasing because I'm 52 years old. I'm older than I've ever been. And if I'm going to live to be on the Today Show, 100 years old, and then I die, I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. And all this goofy stuff that we concern ourselves with means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I was talking to a preacher one day, and he's like, I don't know how to get the people to, to, to listen to my sermons and, and take it in. And I'm sitting there thinking, brother, 
I don't even remember what I preached last week. How in the world are they going to remember what, they, what, what I preached? And what we really need, guys, is we need to pray for each other that we'd be Christ-like. We need to pray for each other that we would recognize our completeness in Jesus Christ. And that we need to be serving Christ. And that we would walk in a way that's well-pleasing to the Lord. Not just in the church, but when we're outside the church. When the cashier makes a mistake. When the server brings us something that's not right. We're still followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus never left the area. I think David Jeremiah said it this morning on his uh, teaching this morning. I was watching it. He said about the size of Vermont, he never left that area. The size smaller than Vermont. He changed the world. Jesus didn't have a place to lay down. Not a place to call home. He didn't have all of the creature comforts. He didn't have a donkey to ride, a horse to ride. He didn't have any. He walked everywhere he went. And we forget that sometimes. We get above our raisin. We get to thinking we're something and we forget about being Christ-like and we want our way and we want it now. And we become so selfish in the United States of America. If you go around the world to some of these countries where people maybe get one or two meals a week. And most of us have more Krispy Kremes than that. Listen to me. It matters our testimony of Jesus Christ. It matters that we're Christ-like. It matters that we walk in a way pleasing to Him. And the writer says, listen, I want to come back and see you. And Timothy has been released from prison. We're talking about leaders, man. They were in prison. But if we can't, I want you to know I'll be praying for you. I want you to pray for me. And I want you to absolutely pay attention to the truth. That's what we need today in our church. Every one of us leaves these doors today. These ought to be our parting words because you know why? We're not guaranteed that we'll be back tonight. Do you know that there's someone your age that's already died today perhaps? And all this temporal stuff will mean nothing. So I ask you, Will you pray, not only for yourself, but for the church, that we would be Christ-like, that we would serve Him, we would stick with Him, we would serve and encourage each other, and we would live a life well-pleasing to the Lord. Can we pray? Lord, we love you. We ask you to bless this invitation.